0: Welcome to the Divorced and Done Podcast. I'm Rob Woodward, joined by my friend and colleague, Darren Schmidt. We're divorce lawyers focused on giving you the information necessary to move through the divorce process quickly and efficiently to maximize benefit to you and your family without financially or emotionally bankrupting
1: yourselves. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not legal advice or legal opinion of any kind. Enjoy the show.
0: Welcome to Episode 3 of Divorced and Done. I'm Rob Woodward, joined by Darren Schmidt. For this episode, on this rainy Sunday, we will be talking about child support spoiler alert as darren's talked about on social media as have i child supports the right of the child not the rights of mom and dad pay it darren schmidt on this beautiful
1: cloudy sunday how are you you're not messing around you like no. get right into it pay no it.
0: 30, 30 seconds in spoiler alert pay your child support if you're, if you're tuning in uh how do i get around child support you don't just just pay it thanks
1: yeah Uh, if you take nothing else away from this today, I think that's the message is, is pay it, but I know I'm good. Um, I want to send out a thank you to everyone tuning in again, uh, now that we're on episode three and we're talking about child support. Thank you to everyone tuning in from our social media channels, uh, myself, uh, at family law underscore Darren Schmidt on TikTok. you're at Robert underscore Woodward. Uh, you were doing a good job this week, hyping up more podcast fun on your TikTok. And we're both on LinkedIn, Darren Schmidt, uh, based out of the North Okanagan, and Robert Woodward, based out of Calgary. And we were sharing our podcast, uh, episode one and two of the last few weeks on our social media channels. And we've gotten some great feedback from people. So thank you for continuing to listen. We're having a lot of fun.
0: We had great outreach on that, including uh, across Canada and in parts of the US. And I note even in Germany. So for those of you that were listening, thank you. And of course, if you want to send us any questions or any feedback on the podcast specifically, you can do that to our email lawyers talking about divorce at gmail.com. So coming back to child support, uh, child support is the right of the child. Uh, right of the child of the marriage or the relationship if you're not married. And generally, child support, unlike spousal support, as we will talk about in a future episode, is fairly standardized based on table amount, either by provincial tables if you're not married, excuse me, or federal tables. If you are married, looking to your income, uh, number of children you have, and if you make $50,000 and you're in Alberta, And you have one child and that child is not in your care the majority of the time. Your child support obligation will be the same as someone else that makes $50,000 and does not have that child in their care the majority of the time because of the federal child support tables. Darren, I know you did a great TikTok on the 1997 guidelines and the advent of the child support guidelines. Do you want to touch on that?
1: Yeah. As part of that, why don't I throw this to you? What do you think... The number one song on the Billboard Hot 100 songs of 1997 was uh, the the number one song throughout the year. What what do you think it was? I I don't know, and I don't want to embarrass myself, so I'm not going to guess. Fair enough. I'm going to say no matter what you would have guessed, you wouldn't have got it because this actually blew me away. Number one song, Billboard Hot 100 singles, 1997, Elton John. Something About The Way You Look Tonight. What a jam. Really? Yeah, I was shocked. I didn't I I don't associate Elton John with that song. I mean, he's got some other bangers, but I mean, Something About The Way You Look Tonight, number one song 1997. Good on you, Elton John. Anyway, I digress. Uh 1997 was an important year not only for Elton John, but for Canadians going through Uh, family law issues, particularly people with minor children, 1997 brought in to legislation as a regulation under the Divorce Act, The what we now call federal child support guidelines. So pre-1997, it was like the Wild West. People would go to court and they'd fight about how much child support the recipient parent might get. That was all standardized in 1997 with the advent of the guidelines themselves. So the guidelines were meant to standardize and bring in predictability, respecting how much child support was to be paid in any given case based on the incomes of the parties. Um, The Section one of of the federal child support guidelines, as they're now written, basically sets out the objectives of the guidelines. I'll just go through them very quickly. It says the objectives of the guidelines are, uh, number one, to establish a fair standard of support for children that ensures they continue to benefit from the financial means of both spouses after separation. Number two, to reduce conflict and tension between spouses by making the calculation of child support orders more objective. Number three, to improve the efficiency of the legal process by giving courts and spouses guidance in setting the levels of child support orders and encouraging settlement. And finally, number four, to ensure consistent treatment of spouses and children who are in similar circumstances. So to put those all together, the gist of this is to bring about predictability, bring about um, some... Uh, bring about a, a way for people to stop focusing on how much child support is going to be paid and more on the other important issues in their family law matters. Um, and that certainly has been accomplished by the child support guidelines. Cause like you said, right off the the top Rob um, you just have to pay the child support and what the guideline amount is, is basically what you're going to pay subject to some very strict language in the child support guidelines, which almost never comes into play, which is undue hardship. I won't jump ahead to that. But basically, what the child support guidelines say you should be paying is what you're going to pay. And it's the way it is. If you're
0: earning income, you're going to have a number. And whatever that income is, income is any money really you get um, in the year as reported on your income tax return. It'll give you a number. That's your number. Pay it. Inside of child support, there's really two main pieces we talk about. Section 3, which is your base child support, that number dictated by the guideline that you will be paying, and Section 7 expenses, those above and beyond expenses, things like hockey, ballet, extra health expenses like braces, child care, all of those things can be Section 7 expenses. Darren, do you want to talk about perhaps um, section three and how we do that in different parenting
1: regimes? Sure. So the way we sort of, the, the first thing we think about when we're thinking about child support is the parenting arrangement. So we talked last episode about putting into place a parenting arrangement. So if there's not a shared parenting arrangement that's in place, then You're looking at one parent having primary parenting of the children of the relationship or the marriage. And in order to determine whether one parent has a primary parenting arrangement with the other parent, you basically are looking at a percentage of time with the kids between the two households and the federal child support guidelines um, say if, if one parent has at least 40% of the time with the children, then there's a shared parenting arrangement in place. But if one parent does not have at least 40% of the time, then there's a primary parenting arrangement in place. And the amount of child support then is, is calculated based on the income of the parent without the primary parenting arrangement of the children. So the non-primary parent, we're just looking at what their income is. And if there is a shared parenting arrangement, then we're looking at both parents' incomes and not to get too technical, but under section nine of the federal child support guidelines, if there is a shared parenting arrangement, so there's one parent with at least 40% of the time, then we look at what parent A would pay to parent B under the guidelines and what parent B would pay to parent A under the guidelines and then just do basically a net set off approach um, whereby, you know, whenever the parent that is supposed to be paying the, the lesser amount of child support, the net difference between the higher amount and the lesser amount between the two parents is basically the, the offset amount that the parent with the higher income will be paying. Um, Section nine doesn't technically say that. That's the approach, but that is the standardized approach of basically looking at um, if there's a shared parenting arrangement, you basically are starting with a net set off approach. The language under Section 9 of the guidelines allows for some some variation of that, but I'd say almost 99 times out of 100 cases that I've dealt with in shared parenting arrangements, just do a net set off approach. So. Basically, you're looking at, number one, what is the parenting arrangement that's in place? Is it a primary parenting arrangement in favor of one parent or is it a shared parenting arrangement? And then, of course, you need to start looking at the incomes of uh, the parties. So, um, Rob, do do you want to maybe talk about how we try and figure out Incomes of parties, it's fairly standardized. I'm I'm sure across provinces. I know we practice in two different provinces. But how do you think about figuring out the income of parents in these cases?
0: For most people, uh, assuming most folks are T4 employees, meaning you're you're either a salary or a wage employee, and you receive a T4 from either your employers or various employers, it is your line uh, 1500 income on your tax return. That's your gross income payable before taxes for the purposes of tax. And that number is what we input into the guideline calculator or into the tables. And that's how we get our child support number. Um, If you earn other income, that line 1500 number can obviously be affected by things such as rental income. Or if you have another job, a side job, even cash, eh, you should be declaring it. But even if you're not and the other party has reason to believe you're earning side income that's not on your taxes, application can be made to court to impute that income to you for the purposes of topping off your income for child support so that it's more reflective of what you actually earn in a year.
1: Totally. So basically we start by looking at the tax returns and notices of assessment that are returned from the Canada Revenue Agency to both parents we typically look at them over a three-year horizon. Um, as as you say, Rob, you can, if receiving child support, ask to impute income to the parent paying child support if you think that they're either intentionally underemployed or they're not reporting income or they own a business and there's you know retained earnings left in the business that are not otherwise uh, used to pay that spouse in terms of income. Through dividends or through salary or other things, then you can you you would bear the onus to bring an application or or something of that nature in a court wherever you are to have that parent's um, income imputed at a higher level for the purposes of child support. It's a fairly high hurdle. Uh, it's not something the court's going to readily grant. Um, it depends on every circumstance, I suppose. But I mean, the starting point is we look at the income tax returns of the parent paying support, or if there's a shared parenting arrangement, both parents, one of the parents owns a business. Then we're going to want to look at the corporate income tax returns for the last three years, as well as the, at, at minimum, unaudited financial statements of the business for at least the last year, but likely the last three years, just to get an overall sense of where, what's the financial uh, position of both parents or at minimum, the parent paying support, what's their financial Position, you know, what has their historical earnings been? Um, all that sort of stuff, and so um, I will say, in terms of financial disclosure when when we have child support as a live issue in a case, that typically happens very early on in a family matter. And it typically happens without the necessity of bringing an application in court to compel financial disclosure. Typically the rules of court in whatever province you're in will just mandate that you have to provide that disclosure in a certain period of time. And it's been my experience that most parties, particularly if they have a lawyer uh, comply with that requirement to provide the financial disclosure Um, And even if there's some missing pieces in the financial disclosure, it's typically um, brought forward without inordinate delay. But um, you do need to get that financial disclosure as a really a starting point to figuring out child support.
0: And most lawyers, as you say, Darren, are pretty good about encouraging their clients to do that and doing those disclosure pieces voluntarily off the top so that hopefully child support, much like we talked about in our parenting episode last time, can be done agreeably. Uh, and then she can get there quicker and even if it's just on an interim basis looking at an instant tax return and not necessarily going back historically right off the top if there are arrears or other pieces that need to be determined so that support can begin
1: uh, in an interim basis all right so we've talked about base child support section three child support I guess what we haven't talked about in that in that sense is how much I mean the what you can do if you're curious is you can go to the federal government website and there's a calculator on the website. You can actually go look at the guidelines themselves and the tables that are affixed to the back of the guidelines as a schedule. Um, But you can go to the federal government website, uh, just Google um, child support calculator, federal government of Canada and the first search
0: table lookup.
1: Yeah. Okay. Child support table lookup. And you can, you can play around with the, Uh, table amounts they are different based on the province that the payor the spouse paying child support lives in so there's some adjustment in the tables for standards of living between the various provinces and territories but um, you can basically put in what the income is of the parent paying child support how many kids where they live and you'll see the number and it, it comes out as a monthly number um now, it is possible to pay child support, not necessarily in one lump sum, through uh, the month, either on the 1st or 30th or 15th or something. You can break it into multiple payments. But the presumption is once a month, you shouldn't probably break it into multiple payments unless there's agreement from the spouse receiving the child support or you get a court order to do it. Just presu- it's just presumed under the guidelines that it's a monthly amount of child support. And
0: coming back to the Section 9 piece that you mentioned uh, in that situation where both parents have the children or child 40% of the time or more, that set off where they each owe each other child support is looking at the amounts you owe each other and then setting those off, subtracting the lower obligation from the higher to understand that difference that will be paid. And it's worth noting on that point. Uh, for tax purposes, although this is not tax advice, the Tax Court of Canada has recently weighed in on Section 9, where we used to put in our agreements, uh, child support would be paid at the set-off amount. So for easy math, if someone owes $100, the other person owes $80 a month, the effective set-off would be $20, and we would be put in the agreement, uh, person A would owe person B $20 a month. We now must say, Person A will pay 100, person B will pay 80. And to get all the benefits from CRA, if you're claiming for your children or the eligible dependent tax credit, both parties, even though there is that effective set off, need to be able to show that they both paid
1: child support to get those benefits. Pretty slick, pretty good advice there. I uh, uh,
0: Again, as we say in our preamble at the beginning, uh, not advice merely for informational purposes. <laughs> I but stand corrected. That is where the Tax Court of Canada has gone. So, Section 7 expenses, um, those above and beyond pieces, uh, extraordinary expenses uh, that aren't covered by
1: base child support. And, Darren, do you want to talk about those pieces? Yeah, they're not easily defined. They are set out in uh, the child support guidelines. We just call them Section 7 expenses. They basically are things that that, that should otherwise not be paid by the parent receiving the child support for these sort of things because they're extraordinary or special expenses that are not meant to be paid for by the base amount of child support. So the language in Section 7 is quite long. Um, The gist is that they are truly extraordinary or special expenses, and you have to take into account the necessity of the expense in relation to the child's best interests and the reasonableness of the expense in relation to the means of the spouses and the child and look at the family spending pattern prior to separation. So you can't separate and then of a sudden enroll the child unilaterally in Elaborate um, extracurricular activities that cost a bunch of money and expect that they will be um, they will be topped up to some extent under Section Seven by the uh, payor spouse. Um, that's my favorite part of section seven. Cause yeah, you've just, you're
0: separate and apart. You're in a new parenting regime. Uh, instead of stressing the kids out with whatever's going on between mom and dad, let's register them in horseback riding, polo lessons, figure skating, and uh, golf lessons where the family makes less than $60,000 a year spending pattern prior to separation. That's likely not reasonable.
1: Yeah. And the, So on that point, the things you've enumerated there, we often get questions about as lawyers, like, is this a Section 7 expense? If there's any question about it, I mean, the answer will come from a court or some third party making the decision on that point. But the, like, extracurricular component of Section 7 expense, uh, Section 7 expenses those extracurricular expenses must truly be extraordinary. So the regular enrollment fee for soccer or uh, even hockey or, th- or things of that nature, my view is always it's not extraordinary until it's extraordinary. So the standard enrollment fees, I am of the view, are not true Section 7 expenses unless they're extraordinary expenses in relation to those extracurricular activities. But nonetheless, um, in terms of what... So what is a Section 7? They are enumerated at Section 7 of the Federal Child Support Guidelines. So they include things like child care expenses incurred as a result of the uh, custodial parent or primary parent's employment arrangements or their disability. So that's like daycare uh, or babysitting or things like that because the parent is employed and otherwise can't look after the child. Um, The portion of medical or dental insurance premiums attributable to the child, that's a sticky one. I rarely see that one um, raised. That literally means just the portion of the medical and dental insurance premiums paid by a parent that are for that Child or children of the relationship.
0: Because often that's covered through folks' employment and they don't seek to generally recover on
1: those pieces on a proportionate basis. Yeah, because they're paying perhaps 50% of some benefits plan or package. The employer is covering 50%, but the 50% that they're paying out of pocket not only covers. The children, but it also may cover themselves, may cover their ex-spouse, it may cover their new spouse. There may be other people there. Then you're asking the plan provider to basically provide like an actuarial breakdown of how much the medical and dental insurance premiums premiums are actually attributable to the child, and they're it, that's realistically not worth uh, pursuing Selden or happens. fighting about.
0: Yeah, I've seen that once or twice, but as you say, it's
1: not worth it. Yeah. Uh, section 7s also include uh, health-related expenses that in- exceed an insurance reimbursement by at least hundred dollars annually, including orthodontics, counseling uh, through a professional counselor, um, and basically other health-related matters that are not otherwise uh, that that are not otherwise covered by a benefits plan. So that's there's typically no fighting about that if a, if a child needs orthodontics. The portion that is not covered by any benefits plan of both parents would then be uh, proper Section 7 expense. If both parents have benefits coverage, perhaps 100% of it's covered, so then it's not a Section 7 expense. Um, Also includes things like glasses and contact lenses, prescription drugs, all the standard things that a child might need as they're growing up uh, and related to health matters. Uh, It also includes extraordinary expenses for primary or secondary schooling or for any other educational programs. Once again, the first word there is extraordinary expenses for primary or secondary school education, like school fees. The standard school fees would not otherwise be categorized, again, in my view, as a Section 7 expense. It's truly only those fees that that are extraordinary and... Lastly, the one I haven't talked about is expenses for post-secondary education. That one can be a little stickier but um, because the child at that point would presumably be an adult but may still be categorized as a child of the marriage under the Divorce Act because they're unable to remove themselves from the charge of one of the parents because they're going to school. Um, but basically that captures the the gist of what our Section 7 expenses are under Section 7 of the Child Support Guidelines, the um, payment of Section 7 expenses. Rob, uh, why don't you explain that uh, concept?
0: Sure. And before jumping to that piece, I just want to hop on post-secondary expenses. Just as a point in my practice, if you have really young children that aren't considering university for at least up to a decade or between six, seven to ten years, my practice is to reserve that issue until the child uh, is considering going to post-secondary because it's a child becomes an adult at that point in time, over 18, potentially not a child of the marriage or a child of the relationship until they're back in post-secondary education. And there is case law that can suggest the child has an obligation to contribute to their um, post-secondary education uh, as a part of that.
1: I agree. And the, the, so, people are curious about the case. You just Google something called Farden factors. If one of your, if you've got a kid going to university, court's going to consider a whole bunch of stuff as to whether or not the expenses for post-secondary schooling are an extraordinary expense, and um, they're going to consider the performance of the child in school. They're going to consider whether the, the child is actually working part time, working through the summer, and can offset those. Expenses. So there's a whole bunch of stuff a court's going to consider in that regard. But anyway, we digress. Rob, how about the uh, apportionment of Section 7 expenses?
0: So the courts generally, when we do our uh, Section 7 expenses, if people are in a shared parenting regime, meaning equal or shared parenting, often will agree to share those expenses on an equal basis. Um, but otherwise if incomes are not equal and for the sake of easy math they're apportioned based on the share of money available to the parties so for easy math let's say one party earns thirty thousand the other party earns seventy thousand for a total pot of income of a hundred thousand dollars which means the first party earning thirty thousand will be responsible for thirty percent of the uh, the expense while the party earning seventy thousand will be responsible for seventy percent of the expense and that's recalculated on an annual basis with your base child support obligation when you look at all of your child support obligations, including the percentage division on how those expenses will be shared. And in terms of practical application, in terms of enforcement, in my agreements, I generally like to say that people will be responsible for paying those expenses within 30 days of the party paying the expense, producing a receipt to the other side saying, look, this is the expense we incurred. We incurred it reasonably, or you agreed to it before it was incurred, and it is a legitimate Section 7. I'd like some reimbursement for that. Please do that within 30 days.
1: Wonderful. So... I think that gives us a broad overview here of what is child support, what are special and extraordinary expenses. We'll talk a little bit about some cases and retroactive child support in a minute. But uh, one one thing I say is uh, when I have a client that is complaining or possibly going to complain about paying child support is that it's the cheapest form of daycare you're ever going to find. Um, where else uh, are you going to find someone to look after your child, perhaps twenty days or twenty-five days a month, while you are off working, and you know you are paying whatever it is, a thousand, two thousand, or even three thousand plus dollars a month for child support, um, and you are just not going to find it. So, back to the or- original point, which is child support's cheapest form of daycare you are going to find. I think we've already mentioned uh, child support is not. There's no tax consequences either side, meaning the pay, payor of child support doesn't get a tax deduction and the recipient doesn't have to pay tax on it. It's just purely meant for the benefit of the child and the recipient is and receiving an, it and uses it for the child. And that's is used, uh, using
0: it for the child. That's another great point. You did a really good TikTok on this and we hear this every once in a while uh, where folks are upset I'm concerned that money isn't being spent on the child, or the other side is using that money for nefarious purposes or spending it on the child in ways I don't like. I want a recalculation or a reevaluation of how my child support dollars are spent. How do you answer that?
1: Um, good luck because you probably it's not what, what you've raised is you might think is valid, but a court's not going to agree with it. Number one is the child support guidelines themselves. Don't give jurisdiction to a court to analyze how a recipient uses the money once they've received it. If you feel like your ex is misusing the money you're paying to them for child support, the answer isn't to ask a court to analyze what they are doing with the money or to ask that there be a trust imposed and a trustee oversee how that parent is paying or is is using the child support? Excuse me. Or the answer isn't trying to pay the child directly. Say the child's you know twelve years old plus, just going to pay them the money. You can't do that. the The best you can do is go to court and say I, I have some concerns about the the parenting of my child, and I'd like to change the parenting arrangement that's in place because I don't think. Um, the other parent has the child's best interests in mind. So I want to shift the parenting arrangement. That's the best you can hope for. Thank you.
0: So jumping ahead, realizing we're coming up to about the 30-minute mark, I know we're going to talk about a little bit of case law. I don't know how much you want to go into that. I'm looking at one decision here that I wanted to talk about out of our Court of Appeal here in Alberta uh, before jumping into some listener questions, if that's reasonable for you
1: do it. Do do, do whatever you want to do. Talk about all the cases you want to talk about.
0: (laughs) Well, I just wanted to point at one case coming on the pieces that Darren and I have talked about. The notion of child support is the right of your child. It is a continuing obligation. You can't contract out of it uh, and you can't make side deals. Uh, In a 2005 judgment, there was an order that dad was to pay child support uh, just over about $900 a month. After that judgment was entered and both parties had counsel, mom and dad had a side deal where he would pay less. And he didn't do this consistently, but never formally, the parties never formally changed the original order that had that original child support amount in place. So despite that, the parties continue down the road, life continues, parties carry on. And child turned 18 in one year, no longer a child of the marriage because the child wasn't going to school or doing something else uh, that the child would not be able to withdraw from the charge of their parents. So no longer subject to child support. And the maintenance enforcement program in Alberta closed their file and said, Dad, great, we're closing our file, not enforcing against you anymore. And Dad went on his way, took no steps to change the old child support order. Mom, a year or two later, re-registered that child support order with the enforcement agency, which she was able to do, even though the child was over 18. And dad got a letter in the mail saying, you owe about $50,000 in child support arrears, which was significant based on what wasn't paid uh, under that original child support order from their original divorce judgment. He fought it through our courts and into the Court of Appeal. And the Court of Appeal basically said, well, sorry, I, we don't care if you had some sort of side deal with mom. They couldn't really find good evidence of that uh, and affirmed those arrears of just over $50,000. So the big takeaway from this for our listeners is... Child support is serious, particularly if it's in an order. If you want to do something different and have agreement with your ex, you're going to do something different that's consistent with the child support guidelines, consistent with what your current income is. So if it changes, if it drops or you're unemployed, take steps to change that child support order and update it. And you don't necessarily need a lawyer to do that with you because that is expensive, but that's contingent on both of you and your ex acknowledging your current situation and making an agreement, either registering a new order with the courts or taking some formal steps to memorialize your agreement and then registering it with a maintenance enforcement program if they're involved, that creditor agency that may collect from the payor to the payee to say, this is what we're doing differently and don't ignore or your child support order that's in place because you have some side deal.
1: Wonderful. We'll, uh, we'll get into maintenance enforcement programs or fa- family order enforcement programs. They're uh, a provincial, um, they're, 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 separate, they're separate things based on the province you live in, um, and they have separate powers. But the gist of all maintenance enforcement programs across Canada, depending on the province you live in, is you can take an order or agreement you have about child support register it basically enroll it with this government program and then they're responsible for collecting the child support and then paying it to the recipient and then if there's non-payment then they're responsible for chasing the parent that's supposed to be paying it and some provinces have a recalculation program every year that the parties can opt into and some some don't Alberta does BC doesn't so Um, we'll, that's a whole separate episode, but, um, there are maintenance enforcement programs across Canada and they do different things, but for the most part, they're trying to help smooth out the process. So.
0: There are creditor agencies that take that money directly from the person that owes it or in that event of shared parenting, both of you owing it and making sure it automatically goes to the person who receives the child support each month. And if there's non-payment Uh, Those penalties can escalate from things like suspending your driver's license or to your passport. Um, But those don't happen lightly and those don't happen
1: quickly. But nonetheless, as we said at the beginning of this episode, pay your child support. All right. I think it is listener mail time, which means that we are once again treated to this special sound right. It's the listener mail cowbell introduced to you in episode one that you've come to know and love. Um, so the first question that we'll address this week uh, comes from a listener whose ex is an employee, it appears, of the Canadian military. And the gist of the question here is that um, she she's not entirely sure if the amount reported on his um, income tax return is is in fact uh, what he actually makes and and has some, I guess particular questions about a tax return of a military member her um, ex. but uh, i th- I think the gist here is, Um, upon looking at an income tax return, if there's questions, what can be done about that? And that boils down to basically, are we satisfied with disclosure? So uh, Rob, what are are your thoughts on this question?
0: Yeah. Disclosure is a continuing obligation. Um, It needs to happen even after you're separated. Um, But coming back to how we assess income off the top, it should be all your income in your tax return and if you have questions or concerns or you as the recipient parent of that child support have problems with the disclosure you're receiving if you believe it's incomplete or all the income declared is not realistic of the income somebody is earning despite what they've told CRA you can make application to court to impute income Uh, and In other circumstances, for example, people people intentionally underemploying themselves saying, I don't want to pay child support. I'm going to quit my higher income job for a lower income job. Courts can impute you higher. Similarly, if you're hiding income and that spouse that's responsible or eligible to receive that child support, can make application to say, hey, court, uh, we believe there's more income on the table that's available. Here's the evidence I have in support of that.
1: A court can necessarily impute you at a higher level. Yeah. And I think for this this listener, the issue is her ex is a military member. I don't know enough about military pay and they don't You know, they don't specifically say what branch of the military, but I would assume their income tax return, their total income at line, we call it line 150 on a tax return, just total income, probably accurately reflects what this person makes. If they're getting other benefits or or things of that nature that are not reported on a tax return, I'd be surprised. But um, the starting point is looking at what the total income is on a tax return, And that basically is the presumption of what that person should be using as their income for the purpose of child support as um, basically as a starting point. So um, I don't think it matters where someone is employed. If they're employed and they're receiving a T4 every year, look at what their total income is and say that's their income for the purpose of child support. And then, of course, as you said, Rob, you can ask to stray from that, either as the person receiving child support, if you think they're underemployed or not reporting some things on their tax return, or if you're paying child support, you can say, you know, I don't think my tax return accurately flex or I'm asking for a different amount. That's a little more rare, but um, yeah. So the second question we have is uh, very straightforward. How soon after separation can I receive child support? Do we need to be divorced first? Rob?
0: Absolutely not. You do not need to be divorced. uh, Once you've come to that moment where you're separate and apart, and assuming you're no longer living in the same house, uh, in different places, child support is owing. Uh, Even if you're still living in the same house, if that support for expenses and other things is no longer directly shared and even if it is directly shared that can cloud the issue um I won't go off on a tangent basically to say once you've separated if there are children child support is owing
1: Darren Yeah 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 for for sure 100% so child support is the right of a child it arises at the you know it arises at the moment that the that their parents separate so I mean the the, the rough and tumble way I look at this is Um, if you separate sort of the the first part of a month, I would say child support payable to the first of that month ongoing. If you separate in the latter part of a month, then child support would commence the first day of the month following thereafter. It's not uncommon for child support to not be paid for some months after separation. Um, but it's appropriate for child support to commence at separation to some extent uh, and and as quickly as possible after separation. Um, what I've just described now is sort of a personal preference. I've never got sort of pushback from a court when trying that approach or using that approach, but um, y- you know, you can go back retroactively for child support if it hasn't been paid for a few months. We'll talk in a future episode, I'm sure, about, you know, how far back you can go retroactively for child support, but it arises at the moment of separation. And um is is due and owing thereafter so until the child is no longer a child of the marriage so you don't have to wait till you get divorced and it's it is an independent obligation that arises immediately upon separation of the parents wonderful were well, those are questions for today they are and i think that that uh i think that that marks our third episode on divorced and done which is great Well, fantastic. Thank you for being with
0: us one more time. Again, if you do want to send us any questions or engage with us, send us any feedback, lawyers talking about divorce at gmail.com. I'm Rob Woodward, joined by Darren Schmidt. Thank you for being with us.